This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Catherine Stedman, welcome to Better Reading. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So are you in London? Where are you? Um, I am, yes. I'm in rainy London, enjoying a very grey summer. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, we're in lockdown, so I think that's even. We're even. Catherine, as many of you all know, is a British actor and writer, well known for her role as Mabel Lane Fox in the hit series Downton Abbey and in other television and stage productions. Her first novel, Something in the Water, was a New York Times bestselling novel with film rights sold to Reese Witherspoon's production company. Her latest novel, The Disappearing Act, is another gripping thriller about actors in L.A. I mean, it's a stellar career and you're still so young. (laughs) Well, I don't know, comparatively maybe, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Um... Uh, so yeah, I'm. I at the moment I'm working on my fourth, which seems crazy um, yeah. to be at this stage already. But um, I guess because of the pandemic, everything seems a bit compacted. But I am trying to write a book a year, um, and uh, yeah, so far it's it seems to be going to plan. Yeah, um, um, along with everything else, you have. To- yeah yeah Um, you've got two uh, jobs and then you've got a young child as well yeah exactly but you know I've been saying this to people like um for writers I think the pandemic in one way has been very helpful because it's taken away a lot of distractions and in another way it's taken away a lot of inspiration because for me as a writer I like to sort of be out outside in the world yeah. like uh, with the noises and the because everything goes in you know like the smell of coffee will go in and suddenly you're like my main character needs a coffee mm. <laughs> mm. um so yeah there have been like you know challenges but also kind of benefits during the pandemic you know fitting things in and um and things like that uh, obviously like I think probably loads of writers you've spoken to have said like during the pandemic there's been a lot more googling and a lot yeah. more YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Although yeah. I think solitary, you know, we're in a lockdown in Sydney at the moment, as I said, and I think for some writers that's just kind of normal life, you know. They spend yeah. many hours, you know, locked up. Was your baby born in lockdown or during, was it a COVID? Is she COVID yeah. baby? No, she's not. She was born in the January before. Uh, just before. So, yeah, I was on maternity leave and I was in full lockdown anyway, you know, that yeah. first couple of, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, just as we were starting to sort of come out and do baby groups, that's when the pandemic hit. And part of me was sort of a bit like, oh, everyone's on maternity leave now. You know, obviously, um, not uh, taking into consideration all the people who are very sick, obviously yeah. it's very bad. And, but um, on, on the kind of lighter side of things, I was like, well, I'm not missing out on any parties mm. now. I'm not missing mm. out on, 
you know, anything like that during maternity leave. So that was kind of like, I felt, I guess the FOMO was taken out of um, the first stages of having a baby. But then, you know, like everyone who, you know, just didn't necessarily know anyone sick or wasn't getting sick themselves, part of you is like, after a few months, I really would just like to go to a restaurant or... Mm. I don't know, a theatre or the cinema. Yeah. It's really hard. I I made reference to your little girl because I come from a really large family and two of my great nieces have had a baby in the last couple of months, you know, one in COVID but one in lockdown. So you won't believe it's such a big family. It's babies number 10 and 11 of that generation. Yeah. But do you know what I have noticed is that that time, that precious time, you know, that first three months, Mm -hmm. that precious time, I think lockdown hasn't been too bad for it because it's taken the pressure of everything else. And I can see these two beautiful mothers, my nieces, just enjoying it so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I don't know any different because I haven't, you know, experienced it or really had any friends who've sort of you know had their first babies yet or anything so I don't didn't really have anything to sort of measure it against but yeah I can't really imagine having a baby not in lockdown now because I'm like Mm -hmm. yeah all of those things you take for granted like you're going to spend the whole day together and you know it's not you're not going to have visitors coming and going all the time it's just going to be quality time so yeah I like I think it was a real in a in a way and it's terrible to say when so much Mm -hmm. bad stuff is but yeah in our kind of microcosm it was a little bit of a blessing because it was sort of stolen time yeah Mm. Mm. yeah I I think there is something and all of these things will come out down the track of you know the happy moments and 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 the terribly sad and tragic moments as well now I want to go back to you know where you grew up and how it is that you came to writing you know I mean when you were young did you dream were you putting on were you acting for your parents or reading for your parents what were you doing talk to me about that I think probably reading like I think yeah I'm probably from the generation that grew up on tv and movies and and books um it was that huge explosion of like teen angled fiction you know the kind of well, Sweet Valley High was a little bit before my time, but there were kind of all the points, you know, point horror, point all this stuff. And then I got into um, I got into Douglas Adams very young. I mm. think I was 10 or 11 when I got into Douglas Adams. And I sort of had this, um, yeah, I sort of was drawn to kind of quite funny sort of adult books, uh, maybe a bit genre but um, yeah, with more of a kind of adult sort of, twist and and yeah I don't know if I in my background I'm becoming a writer ever really seemed like a thing that people did to be honest weirdly being an actor seemed like a more viable option because you know you could see people like out in the world like you look at a magazine it's like loads of actors doing acting talking about how they got into acting you'd never see like I don't know Stephen King going well I got into writing but you know (laughs) So like I knew how to become an actor. I just had to go to drama school and then go to auditions. But yeah, I don't think it ever sort of touched my consciousness. Although, you know, at school, um, I was good at English. I won some English prizes and I was good at creative writing. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess it's part of the education system really needs to sort of open up in that sense and maybe make these careers seem a bit more, you know, achievable for people, especially for girls, I think. 
I don't think anyone even mentioned writing, not even, I suppose maybe journalism might have been broached by some English teachers, but I don't know, that doesn't quite sound when you're a, you're a kid as exciting as, you know, writing books, mm. but how do I get into it? So yeah, I, um, I went to drama school and I went down the route of, um, cause I knew I wanted to be involved in, you know, storytelling and, um, yeah, the most viable option seemed to be, you know, the thing right in front of you every day is the television. And that seems to be the method most people consume stories through, sadly, although, you know, there are still people out there reading, thankfully. Yeah, and, <laughs> um, there's, and there's good television as well. Exactly. And there's terrible television, but there's good television. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so, um, so yeah, I got, I got into acting and, um, and I absolutely love acting. And it wasn't until, you know, a couple of years ago, um, I had thought about writing before because there's always like a, a sort of whiff in the air around actors of, oh, what are you, what are you working on? Are you, oh, I'm writing something, I'm writing something. So that was always at the back of my mind. It was maybe I should, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should, you know, get going and do something. And yeah, my my husband um, is also a, an actor, and um, and he was like, I'm going to write a book. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you definitely do that. Definitely do that. So he wrote his first book and um, he sort of looked into it and um, uh, it got published. And um, Me too, I, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I had sort of like read through bits and with him and um, I was like, God, this is really fun. You know, I didn't, I didn't really expect it because, you know, the, I, I guess the thing that you hear about writing is, oh, it's a long slog. It's writing a book. It's going to take you, you years. But it's, it's really fun. And that is a bit that people don't mention. Sometimes, you know, if you're enjoying, if you're enjoying your story, it's as fun as reading a really good book, writing it. Because, mm. you know, you get to say what happens next. And, you know, it's like when you're shouting at the TV, no, don't go in there. Or, you know, like, oh, God, why would, why did they do that? Why didn't they do that? Then you can just make them do that in, when you're writing a story. So, yeah, he uh, and I thought, oh, God, I'll give it a go. But um, I didn't want to sort of, I guess I didn't want to partly embarrass myself by doing it and it being awful and everyone having to go, oh, yeah, it's really, it's great. Yeah, well done. So I, I, um, I wrote, I thought, oh, I'll just write the whole thing. I'll write the whole thing and I won't go on about it because if I go on about it, then there's all this, uh, what's the word like um expectation, expectation. yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Snap. like so I thought I'll see if I can do it and if I can do it and it's not too embarrassing I'll let someone take a look at it I I just found it so much fun to write and I found it became quite like addictive like I sort of wake up in the morning and I would just keep writing all day so um, hang, I'm going to interrupt you there because yeah, it's yeah. sounding easy right at this stage <laughs> and I know it's not so did you have a story in mind at, at what had something been swirling around in your head for a long time um well I think what it was was my husband had um he'd finished his first book and that had I think it just was just about to come out. Um, but he'd got a two book deal and he was thinking of second book ideas. And when he was going, when he was thinking of second book ideas, I, my, you know, naturally when someone says, what could it, mm. you know, then you go like, Ooh, Ooh, what would I write a book about? And then I started, these ideas started bubbling up and I was filming in, um, in South Africa in, in the desert in, uh, Namibia. And it was, it was, baking hot like we had to stop filming um at midday because 
um, people were fainting in their costumes and we had to keep drinking electrolytes um, throughout the day. And um, I just was like, oh God, I want to set a book near the ocean where people just are in cold, like we're in water a lot. Because that's where my mind needs to be. Yeah, that's where my mind is. And I just have this holiday (laughs) fantasy in my mind of like this perfect, you know, sea breeze, ocean setting. And uh, yeah, so uh, that was sort of bubbling away. And and then I came up with the sort of the central idea of something in the water, like the hook of the story and the characters, the characters sort of began to come to life. And when I got back to London, and I think this is the reason it sounds easy is because the idea was so fully formed in my head already. Mm. I was Mm. sort of desperate to get it out and on the page. Mm. I've heard that before from writers. Like if the idea is there and it's fully formed, the writing process is a lot easier. But if the idea, you know, you're still playing with it, the writing process is a little more taxing or difficult, if you like. Yeah. And what uh, the way like subsequently that I've, that I work best is if I know, I have a basic idea of who the characters are, but there's room for them to grow as the story grows. And if I know what the central idea is, what some of the themes are, then I have like two or three different endings in my head. That gives me enough space then to have fun every day and be surprised about what's going to happen. And if I planned too much, then I think I'd get a bit bored so yeah, I give myself enough room that every day is like, what's going to happen today? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Do you give yourself a word limit? How do you apply the right? Because you're working as well, usually at the same time, aren't you? Exactly. Well, I try to, um, what I like to do is I try to really like um, condense my first draft. So it would be like I would be doing a chapter every day, basically. And if I was on a roll, then I'd go for maybe two chapters. So around between like um, 2,500 to 5,000 words a day. Or, you know, if I'm, I don't know, really on a roll, it can go higher than that. But um, yeah, I would... I would like a healthy amount, I think, is chapter because as well, you get the you get the satisfaction of, you know, starting it and then you get a nice sort of cliffhanger that is ready waiting for you the next day, mm. which then subsequently the reader will turn off their night light at night going, oh, mm. God, what's going to happen next? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it's like, it's a good kind of um, symbiotic thing. I think if you're like, if you leave on a high, the reader will leave on a high, you know? So yeah, yeah. I try and write that way. Yeah. So 
writing a book that's, I don't know, 80,000, 90,000 words, I mean, you, you you use the word hard slog, but I think there is a discipline to that as well. Yes, I know that you're driven by the story, but there is mm. a discipline to sitting down and doing the work. I mean, it's yeah, not a stream it, of consciousness, of course. I mean, did you, to write a novel, there's structure, there's, you know, as you know, there's all sorts of things. Did you learn that craft as you were writing? I think I learned, I part learned it as I was going, but also I think it is a kind of innate understanding now I I can't um I think a lot of people have it I think we all understand it when we're watching you know a movie we know at this bit that's probably going to happen you know like we've got to the point in the movie where she's going to fall out with her best friend over a misunderstanding you know or whatever the the trope is we sort of like we we do like throughout history like humans have always told stories and we all understand the rhythm of them you know and mm. um, so I think like yeah then the natural rhythm is there and I think also being an actor I I am very used to the structure of, of uh, episodic drama and and films and the arcs that characters have to go through I think like through osmosis I've sort of like I picked that up yeah I, I think a lot of the structure was there in my head and you know it's that it's you know you can read there are so many books on on writing but they all sort of come down to beginning middle and end and um I think people like as well even within chapters or within parts of books to have beginnings and ends that's you know that's one great thing and I think a thing that like Netflix and Amazon Prime and all these tv stations now They've they've really nailed this thing of like surprising you and like mm-hmm. introducing a character mm-hmm. that you love and mm-hmm. then something really unexpected happens and I th- I don't know I feel like we're in a real golden age of storytelling. Story right oh, I agree with you totally. I, and I've talked about this on the podcast many times, but it re- relates to what you're saying. Many many years ago, I had the very good pleasure of meeting John Le Carre. Oh, great. Yeah, the spy writer. Anyway, it was this big literary luncheon and I was a big fan, or I am a big fan, and somebody asked him a writing question and he said, well, I guess there's two types of stories. You might have heard this. And the first story is the cat sat on the mat. But the second story is, and I think this is what you're referring to, is the cat sat on the dog's mat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. there you have, that's the suspense. That's what you're talking about, the, the wanting to come back, the wanting to see what's happening. Yeah. It's exactly that, isn't it? I, I mean, yeah. he was a master at it. So you write in your first book, um, Something in the Water, and then you have it published. Now, I guess you you kind of knew the process of publishing because your husband had been in the same experience and you've probably had, you know, experience with agents and whatever. But the experience of it becoming a bestseller doesn't yeah. relate to anything, any of your past experience, does it? No, not at all. No. Um, and it's so strange because I was happy when the first person who read it said, oh, do you have any more? Yeah, um, wow. Best chapter. And they were like, oh, do you have any more? And I was like, yeah, here you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's your paper? I, even at that stage, I was like, Oh my god, this yeah. is great! And then, I, and then I got my agent, and then, and then I got the publishing deal, and I and, my, and I had a fantastic editor, and um, 
Yeah. And so each of these steps, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is amazing. And then um, Reese Witherspoon, um, I heard that she'd read it and she really liked it and she wanted to make it into a movie. And by that stage, I was like, well, this is just incredible. If none of this ever happens, it's still just incredible to like yeah. have heard things and to know those things. Because when you sit down to write, it's such a solitary thing. And, you know, you're like, oh God, I really like this, but will anyone else like it? And, um, and, and yeah. And then when it, when it got onto the New York Times bestseller list, it was just, yeah. By then I was like, wow, this is just completely. (laughs) Well, do you know what I think is amazing (laughs) and just shows your talent because a lot of people can get this far. A lot of people have written books. A lot of people can get this far and have a book published and have the connections perhaps and, you know, and a lot of books are fabulous. You know, they really are great reads, but they don't sometimes find a reader. For whatever reason, sometimes a book does not find its reader. But all of those things were in place for you and it found the reader. I mean, that is you know, as you know, it doesn't happen that often. No, no, it really doesn't. And that is the best thing about it. I just love the thought of someone on their lunch yeah. break. You know, I I did before I sort of my acting career took off before, like I even went to drama school. I remember, you know, doing like, you know, part-time jobs and things and reading, you know, surreptitiously reading a book under the counter when there's no customers and yeah. The idea that, you know, someone out there might be going, oh, I wonder what happens next in my book. And they're reading my book. It just makes me, I think that's the proudest you can be is because like you're sort of like going to share your day with somebody else's day with them, you know, and um, they like the story that you're telling. It's um, that's sort of the, the one of the best things about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine that you've written a book. It's, you know, been film rights have been sold. New York Times bestseller list. So to sit down and write your second kind of mm. must be overwhelming then, isn't it? Because there's an expectation. Often yeah, feel for I, debut authors. I saw that coming and I started writing Mr. Nobody almost as soon as I'd handed in something in the water because um, my agent had sort of sorted out a two-book deal, so I knew I was going to have to do it. And I'd seen my husband... Um, do his and he was like the same he was like I'm just gonna do it I'm just gonna do it straight away I cannot deal with that so I I was already underway what I did have in my head with Mr Nobody was I was like I don't think I've said this before actually but with something in the water it was a first person narrative and um for some reason in my in my newbie writer's brain I was like I don't want everyone to think I can only write first person (laughs) (laughs) everybody out there yeah it was like everybody in this book is gonna have a POV and then like I started doing that I was like no I don't think this is quite appropriate because for example like Rhoda one of the NHS nurses is um is from Trinidad and I was like I'm not going to attempt to do a first person voice from a 40 year old woman from Trinidad. So yeah, that, that, that obviously. And, the, but then I did, I did there, there's, there's the third person and there's some other first person POVs in there. Yeah. Part of my brain was even before, like I, I had the expectation of something in the water. I was like, but I think also that's my actor's brain. I was like, I don't want to be typecast. Yeah. Um, yeah. So luckily I was, I think I was probably on my second draft of Mr. Nobody before everything sort of hit with something in the water. 
And at that stage, I was like, I um, because it does go through your head, of course. You're yes. like, is it is it going to be too? Because um, sometimes you know the the thing levels of writers or even like correctly leveled to writers is that you get a bit indulgent maybe on your second you get a bit flouncy yeah. um so I'm not going to be flouncy Mr Nobody is is going to be tight it's going to be a tight book <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, I I guess like I think I saw it coming I I was very much aware that I didn't want to put myself in the headspace of having to like compete against myself or something yes. so I yeah. tried to circumvent it but you can't ever completely you know it's like that sports analogy swim your own race or whatever that is something you know like just don't look at what else yeah. is doing and for you don't look at what you've done just keep going exactly. the disappearing act it's kind of like writing what you know isn't it yes well yeah exactly yeah it was good in the sense that I didn't I didn't have to do research in the sense that I did for Mr Nobody with all the neuroscience and hospital stuff because I knew it and also I do forget and I think everyone forgets who's in you know an industry they forget how interesting it is to other people the mechanics inside it and all those little kind of nuggets of information and things that you know you take for granted and and yeah and I did find when I was talking to my publishers that they were always sort of interested about you know the behind the scenes acting stuff. Do you know what I think actors are kind of afflicted with if you like they're mm-hmm. so adamant that they don't want to seem lucky and grateful you know because a lot of them are oh, right. that yeah. they try and not talk about what acting is really like. I often see that when I'm seeing interviews because they're trying, you know, not to show off or not to whatever it is they're trying to do and not yeah. to seem ungrateful, I think, is the, the main thing, that that you don't sometimes get the full story. And yes. I often think, oh, but what really happened, you know, um, and, yeah. well, you read yeah. The Disappearing Act, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And uh, there's a lot of unspoken stuff goes on that we that we all take for granted and and I do wonder sometimes you know if um yeah just like the thing of like you know uh, it's only a small thing that happens in the book but you know that um when um actors and actresses go to award ceremonies like obviously everything they're wearing and everything is all lent to them by yeah you sort of vie for the privilege to do that and um just the idea that you know people can sort of believe that that person maybe went to a shop and bought like that three thousand pound dress or whatever like they can't afford that like they live in a one-bed flat (laughs) because Um, I I mean I knew that um by the time I read your book but I didn't know that like for a long time I didn't know that I really thought people bought that as beautiful gowns and the jewelry I, I thought that I know it's so funny it's such a disconnect because it's the same as models like but I don't think anyone thinks models own the clothes that they wear when they're modeling but for some reason everyone thinks that actors have these like really bougie lifestyles but a lot of actors well most the actors I know you know sort of just doing lockdown stuff just banana bread and you know yeah yeah. do you (laughs) know what was interesting to me too I mean a lot of it was but you know the fact that you're all vying for the same job and then you're meant yeah. to be friendly. I mean, because that's a competitive environment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's um, it is super competitive. Um, but like it, again, it's a career built around because uh, these communities of filming crews and everything are so tight knit. You have to be you have to be able to get on with people, and you have to be able to get on with people quickly. And um, unless you're, you know, a stellar 
A-list, whatever. You don't really have the room to be um, unfriendly or a difficult person. So, or to go yeah. to your caravan and not talk to anyone <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. You know, so whilst it is competitive, it's also got that kind of I don't know gallows sort of humor. Do you know what I mean? So, like, you can regularly like with my friends we'll be going up for the same part and it'll be like oh so and so got it or you know it's like how oh, I'm not going to get that because blah 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 I'm too short or I'm too this or you know um that guy looks like my son or yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> kind of thing so yeah it's it it is competitive but there's also a kind of like com- camaraderie that sort of really blossoms under the the high beam of that you get very like aware of you know your position and things and the mechanics of things yeah and do you prefer one over the other do you prefer acting over writing or writing over acting um I I like a healthy mix because like I was saying I like to get out in the Mm. world in order to have a bit of inspiration for the writing so yeah I like a mix of both like acting is great because it's very people centric and the hours are like very strict you're up at five you're back at home at like midnight or whatever and all day long is just you know different locations different people and then writing is very cerebral because all that is still happening but it's all happening in your head and on the page um so yeah I think it's like for me um and I know for a lot of writers it's it's always good to have like another thing sort of going at the same time whether it's like you know a hobby or a a second job or you know volunteering or whatever it is I think it's really helpful for me um to have another outlet and inspiration yeah because if I was just sitting in my house I think I'd have a lot less I don't know ideas and things bubbling away yeah when you're reading a script now is do you feel that you look at it in a different way because you've had that experience talk to me about that yeah totally yeah um as an actor like you're sort of taught at drama school um during your training you know your your story might not be the story that's told on the screen like so for example like you're Ophelia your whole world Ophelia like where was I this morning what did I have for breakfast what does Ophelia think about what's happening in this scene even if Ophelia doesn't say anything you know yeah (laughs) Uh, whereas like now I'm a writer I'm I'm thinking more like where where, where, it doesn't matter what Ophelia is (laughs) thinking we just want to know like is Ophelia important in this scene because if Ophelia is not important she shouldn't be saying or thinking anything really because really going to distract the reader or viewer from whatever's happening be quiet Ophelia (laughs) (laughs) even if you feel like you're really in the moment it's not really relevant to the story so yeah in a sense it's made me um, as an actor much more aware of the overarching story of a series and my part in it as opposed to um I think most actors will just work in this way. You're like, well, I'm only really concerned about like my character's POV. But now like I do feel like more I'm sort of from a writer's brain thinking, yeah, how can I help the overall story? Maybe that's by not being there or doing less or being a bit clearer about this or that. So yeah, that's been really helpful actually. Yeah. Wow. You're a great communicator too. Catherine, we're out of time. I have enjoyed our conversation so much. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Take care. Yeah, you too. Thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au.
This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.